Today's scripture reading comes from James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely, but he gives us more grace? This is why scripture says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. This is the word of God. Well, good morning, Metro. We're so glad that you are here with us this morning. If this is your first time here, we welcome you. Immediately after service, there is a time of fellowship and gathering where I get to know one another, plug in with the life of our church. So I want to encourage you guys to do so immediately after service if you are interested about plugging in or if you just want to say hi to someone. Please, we welcome, we encourage you guys to do so. Now, we are going through our sermon series to Gospel according to James. James is considered to be the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's wisdom literature in some ways. And for James, he's encouraging and instructing his people what it means to live in light of persecution. What does it mean to live in the context of poverty and brokenness? What does it mean to have the gospel in mind to live accordingly to him? That as we see a crown of thorns on Jesus Christ, in him we receive a crown of life. Will you guys join me in prayer as we dive into the word this morning? Lord God, we come before you, almighty God. You are our king. You reign on high. You are glorious. So, Lord God, how can we not come before you in humility, praising an almighty king? God, I pray that you will be with us at this time. I pray, Lord God, that you will, uh, Lord, uh, um, just fill this room with the Holy Spirit, Lord God, that we can hear your word more clearly, Lord. And at the same time, right now, I want to lift up a prayer for our, our beloved pastor, Donnie Cho, who's away on a speaking engagement. And we pray for that same thing, that as he's away preaching a good word, I pray that you will use him accordingly. Lord God, that you will empower him as he's sharing your words, not ours. And Lord God, that is my prayer right now. Lord God, that you will use me, Lord, humble me. But, Lord, empower me 
Lord God, I desire to be an instrument within the Redeemer's hands. So use me accordingly to your strength. We praise you. We thank you. We honor you. We cherish your name. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen. Athens, the heart of ancient Greece, historically was known as a center of beauty, culture, and knowledge. Athens was filled with examples of artistic beauty, particularly statues of the Greek gods and goddesses. Those architectural brilliance that you've witnessed. And even today, if you visit, uh, much of this beauty can still be witnessed. And the Apostle Paul, who is the author of numerous books of the New Testament, rather than just being in awe of the beauty, he was actually deeply concerned. He was troubled as he was waiting and sightseeing in Athens. Acts chapter 17, verse 16, he says, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked with him as he saw that the city was full of idols. See, as the apostle Paul was walking around the city, he saw gods and goddesses of Athens that were being worshipped. Now, some ancient historians at this time said that there were up to 30,000 gods in Athens. Another ancient historian said that it was easier to find a god in Athens than a man. See, the apostle Paul, he recognized that they were not merely objects of art, but these statues were actually gods and goddesses being worshipped by the people of Athens. In the same way, it only takes a walk in the city of brotherly love to see that idols still exist. They may not be within the shapes of gods and goddesses, but they do come in the shape of luxury cars. They do come in the shape of luxury, large renovated buildings. And they do come within beautiful people walking on a sidewalk. You can turn on a smartphone and you can see the numerous Instagram posts and Snapchat filters that showcase the idolatry of beauty materialism, and the social status of being liked. See, idol worship today is no different than idol worship of history's past. This morning, I want to talk about idolatry and that at the core of conflict with God, His church, and the city, is always an issue of idolatry. But at the same time, to end idolatry, the idea of ending the power of the things that rule you can only be rooted in the power of the gospel. I have three points for you guys this morning as we go through James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. The problem with idolatry 
the warning against idolatry, and the freedom from idolatry. The problem, the warning, and the freedom. First point, the problem with idolatry. If you could read James chapter 4, verses 1 with me. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Now, James is addressing the discord within the Jewish community and that lived dispersed among the nations. Scholars would say that these Jewish Christians were oppressed. They were taken advantage by wealthy landlords and they were persecuted for their faith. And in this trial, what should probably bring the community of God into unity is actually causing discord. Rather than a community that is persevering with one another, is actually slowly creating conflict in the process. And the question is, why? James explains in verse 1, Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Desires, it translates from the word hadanai, which simply means pleasure. But whenever you see this hadanai, it actually has negative connotations of sinful, self-indulgent pleasures, where we get the word hedonism from. Meaning this, the reason for the discord amongst the Jewish Christians it's because of a hedonistic passion that lies in the soul of every man. In other words, the reason there is discord amongst the community of God is due to the discord of one's heart. Specifically, we're talking about idolatry. What do we mean by idolatry? Question 17 of the New City Catechism answers this for us. Idolatry is trusting in created things rather than the creator for our hope and happiness, significance, and security. Now, when you look in this passage, there's no specific idolatry issue that's really identifiable. But in some ways, I think that's the point. See, an idol can be anything or anyone that your heart is drawn to. Even the things that were meant for good can create self-destruction to one's soul. It can be a relationship, a friend, a significant other. Maybe it's just a desire of a relationship alone. It can be your success, your career, academia. It can be status, financial security, a job description. It can be identity, your race, your social economical background, your political affiliation. It can even be faith-based activity. It can be ministry and church leadership. See, those aren't wrong things. In many ways, they are good things. But if it becomes an ultimate thing, then it has replaced God, and you are placing your happiness, your security, and significance within this idol. 
Romans chapter 1, verse 24 and 25 says it this way. Here's Paul. Here, Paul. They exchanged its truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator. And whatever it is, whatever your idol may be, as soon as that idol is being tampered with, it turns your world upside down. That's why James in verse 2, he says, You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. James makes it clear for us that whenever you do not have access of these idols or if there is any attempt to take away the access of your idol, it makes you want to quarrel. It makes you want to fight. And yes, at times it makes you even want to kill. Ever notice that whenever your idol is being jeopardized, you, you get a little jealous. You get a little envious. You get a little anxious. So the question becomes for us right now, how do I know if this good thing has become an ultimate thing? How do I know if this good thing gives me ultimate value? Uh, Verse 2 and 3, James actually helps us counsel us in identifying our idols. Read verse 2 and 3 with me. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. See, what our heart desires is always reflected through what we honestly have to say. So a good way, good way to gauge what you idolize is Identifying the one thing you find yourself asking to God and to others. Allow me to explain. You know, growing up under my grandmom that was of the Christian faith, she would always ask me to pray honestly about my wants and my needs. Now you tell that to a five-year-old boy, I'll tell you straight up that it definitely was not Jesus I was praying for. I would pray for the Nintendo gaming console and the newest toy. See, even five-year-olds have uh, idols of comfort and joy. See, it's easy to identify what a five-year-old idolizes. The problem is that identifying idols today for you and I is much more difficult because of our self-righteousness and our justification for self-indulgence. We tend to cover up our idolatry with religiosity. But today, someone that is preaching to you about idolatry also has idols. It's why I always pray about ministry success. It's why I always pray about preaching a good word. It's why I always pray about being a good counselor and be having a greater vision for the city of Philadelphia. And those are good things. But every single day, I must come into repentance because I find myself asking, who is this really for. See, James is admitting right now, yeah, you are asking, 
but for whose glory? The only difference between our prayers today and the prayer of a five-year-old you is we're better at masking our idolatrous desires with religious cover-ups. Question, what does your heart naturally ask for? And is it possible that this is the actual source of your idolatry? If you are considering the Christian faith, you must consider in identifying the idols not made of stone or gold, but of beauty, wealth, love, and power. For it is taking away what you were attended for. Your idols corrupt your true image, your true value, and true worth. If I can say it this way, idolatry's false promise leads to isolation from God's presence. And God, he gives us a fair warning about this. It leads us to the second point, the warning against idolatry. Read verse 4 with me. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? You adulterous people, it stems from a Greek word where it literally means an adulteress. And we often find reference to the term adulteress in the Old Testament. See, in the Old Testament, God has joined himself with his people, Israel. He graciously brings them into a covenantal relationship with himself. So throughout scripture, this covenantal relationship between God and Israel is always portrayed with marital imagery. Isaiah chapter 54 verse 5 and 6 says it this way, For your maker is your husband, the Lord Almighty is his name. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit. So, whenever this relationship is jeopardized by Israel's love with other idols, the situation is labeled adultery. Israel then is referred to an adulteress. We find this often, and one of the more explicit examples is uh, within the book of Hosea. Uh, in the book of Hosea, we are told that Hosea, who is a prophet of God, is in a marriage to an unfaithful and promiscuous woman named Gomer. And in the entire book of Hosea is used to mirror the unfaithfulness of Israel to the Lord in order to pursue other lovers despite the faithfulness of God. So when James tells his people that they are an adulterous people, James is declaring that they are Hosea's wife. They are an unfaithful bride that commits spiritual adultery, offering themselves to the idols of sex, success, and status. And just like Gomer, just like Israel, we too are adulterers who constantly whore ourselves for the attention of what we idolize. We rather have one-night stands with temporary idols rather than to have true intimacy with God. 
we proclaim of God's revelation, but always find ourselves in spiritual prostitution. And God warns us about this spiritual adultery with our idols. Verse 4, James says, Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. This is the warning against idolatry. Friend or enemy. There is no compromise. Verse 5 tells us why there can't be any compromise. Or do you think scripture says that without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? James has in mind Exodus chapter 34 verse 14. Do not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is jealous, is a Jealous God. The faithful expression, faith miss expression, excuse me, coined by Shakespeare and Othello states, Oh, beware, my Lord of jealousy. It is the green-eyed monster which doth mock the meat it feeds on. And as the story goes, as we all know, it's because of jealousy that leads to destruction and death. In the same way, just as human jealousy often comes at the cost of one's soul, godly jealousy also comes at the cost of one's soul. See, in God's jealousy for his people, he too would have to bring destruction for the sake of protecting his people from the idols that constantly tempt us to spiritual adultery. If John Calvin says that man's nature is a perpetual factory of idols, then the cost of one's life must have been much greater than any one can offer. Who will be the one to absorb the wrath of God's jealousy? Verse 6 and 7. But he gives us more grace. This is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. God's grace is completely adequate to meet the requirements imposed on us by the jealousy that James is referring to. Our God is a consuming fire, and there are terrifying demands, but God being merciful, God being just, God being gracious and all-loving, he supplies all that we need to meet his demands in the humblest, almighty, sovereign King, Jesus Christ. See, God is so jealous for us that he pursues us, he protects us in a way where he would let his one and only son absorb all of God's jealousy, all of his wrath, and all of the punishment on the cross. All of the spiritual adultery and intimacy with our idolatry would be nailed to the purity and the holy body of Jesus Christ and in him, in purity and in fullness, in the Son's name, you are forgiven. If God's jealousy is 
coming towards us. We have no ability to stop the mass production of our idols. The only way we have an ounce of hope is if Jesus Christ comes, absorbs, and destroys that jealousy, and he shows it on the cross. And when we are in Christ, it then becomes a life of freedom from our enslavement, from our idolatry, to the power of freedom. That leads us to the third point of freedom from our idolatry. Verse 7 and 8, with, read with me. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hand, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now in the Old Testament, it was often required to have clean hands and a pure heart for those who would stand before the Lord. And how that happens, uh, there would have to be a priest and he would often have to conduct a cleansing and washing ritual if you wanted to stand before the Lord. Essentially, your nearness to God would always, have, would always have to stem from a life of work and results. But as Hebrew chapter 4 verse 14 declares, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Meaning this, it is no longer a work and a result that will end idolatry. But in Christ, the great high priest, he has already ended the power of idolatry. In other words, it is no longer work and result, but simply repentance and faith. Tim Keller, the author of The Reason for God, says it this way. The dynamic of change in the heart of the Christian, it runs on a cycle of repentance and faith. Repentance is unmasking the idols of the heart and then taking them to the cross. Faith is trusting in the forgiveness of Christ, understanding both the depth of our sin and the worth of Christ's sacrifice, meaning the freedom of idolatry only stems from the person and the work of Jesus Christ. In Christ, in faith alone, as we approach him in repentance, is the freedom knowing that you are no longer enslaved to your idols. If I can explain, um, in Africa, um, Baboon monkeys, they're known to always have a secret supply of water. And because of this secret supply of water, whenever uh, hunters in Africa, they're in a desperate need of water, uh, they look for a baboon, right? And as they look up for a baboon, they set up something known as a salt trap. Now, in a salt trap, the hunter, what he does is he grabs a lot of melon seeds, he places them in this hole in a tree, knowing that the baboon is really going to want and desire the seeds. So what happens? Eventually, this baboon monkey, he finds the melon seeds, he's inquisitive, now he puts his hand in the hole, and now he's stuck. So in this trap, the hunter then, uh, that then 
uh, he decides to give this baboon a lot of salt, because salt is very scarce around the area. So he gives this uh, baboon a lot of salt for his enjoyment. And when the hunter realizes that the baboon is thirsty, the hunter then will let the baboon free. Then he's going to follow it until the hunter is led to the baboon's secret source of water. What's interesting is this, that if the baboon, if he just was able to let go of the melon seeds, it would be set free. But for the baboon, it was too fixated on the seeds that are at hand. And it was because of this desire for the seeds, it actually traps, it enslaves, and now stripped away from its resource of life. In Christ, live in a way where you come in repentance of your inability to let go of your idolatrous desires you grip onto. And at the same time, come in faith, letting go, because you know that Christ in you is more than enough. In Jesus Christ, live in a way where you have an ability to let go of your idols before you become trapped, enslaved, and robbed of the living water that is already inside you. Aren't you tired of losing the same battle over and over and over again? Be reminded of Jesus Christ, the living water already in you. For it is worth more than any idol of sex, status, and power that is sure to enslave you. I will read verse 9 and 10 and I will be out your way. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will surely lift you up. Now, James, he's not trying to be a Debbie Downer, but James is using this language of mourning. It's similar to the proclamation of the Lord in Joel chapter 2 verse 3. 12, God declares, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. See, Joel chapter 2 verse 12 is a reference to the second coming of Christ, and it's calling his people to urgently have a deep, heartfelt sorrow for sin. See, in the same way, just as James is urging his people to mourn, to repent, Will you urgently respond in repentance and faith, fighting a good fight to destroy the monuments, statues, and the overwhelming presence that towers over your soul? Will you consider with me to stop idolizing over the things that are slowly killing us, but only to approach to a God that is constantly saving us. Will you join me in prayer at this time?